The car business is rapidly changing and modern car dealers are meeting the demand. I'm Michael Cirillo, and together we're going to explore what it takes to create a thriving dealership and life in the retail automotive industry. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with subject matter experts that are designed to help you grow. This is The Dealer Playbook. All right, gang, sitting down now with the Chief Operations Officer at Bozard Ford, Mr. Ed Roberts. Thanks so much for joining me on the Dealer Playbook Podcast. Michael, thanks for having me here. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. There, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but I think I think I want to start here. Do you, do you have or can you distinctly remember any of your first impressions of the auto industry way back when you started at Mike Shad Ford? And if so, how those have evolved over the years for you? I remember those explicitly, um, and and the uh, because I was just looking for an opportunity. Those that that n- know a little bit about me know when I started there that I started homeless, and uh, and I was I was hired at one dealership, and then when I got there to start, um, the hiring person says he judged a book by his cover says you don't belong here, sir, mm. and uh, sent me down the road. And, so I was scratching and clawing, looking for a job, and uh, the uh, landed at Mike Shed Ford Orange Park, and started as a tech apprentice. And I can it's easy to say the rest is history, but that's where the journey began, and uh, that has just been an uphill climb since then. At what point do you internalize and say, "Wait a minute, I'm just looking for a shot. I'm looking for the quote unquote real job." And then, and then, do you remember the moment where your brain starts to shift and say, "Oh my, this is where my life is going to be. Is going to be in this industry." The uh, I was I, I would work for that company today if uh, something certain things would have took place because I was very loyal to them for them giving me the chance, and it became corporate owned. Um, AutoNation came in and bought it in '96, and I still worked for them for another eight years after that, um, but. At one point, they asked me to put work in front of my family, and uh, at that point in time, that family was very important to me because my family life previous to that was very bumpy, right? And I was not going to put work in front of my family, so uh, I quickly made that my last day there. Gotcha, uh, which resonates so deeply with me. I often think, um, you know, I, I can think of moments in my career where. I've consciously said, no, I'm not going to do that because it's going to, it's going to mean I have to give up something here, um, which I think is so admirable. And, and especially in an industry where largely the narrative tends to be, no, no, all in or nothing. You got to be able to hundred percent this, that, and the next thing. And, and now you, you look at a long line of millionaires who have been divorced 17 times and you know just all of these things that have gone right i'm not a i'm not going to judge i just think it's it's interesting that success leaves clues on both sides of the path it certainly does and, and i don't hold anything against the the person that delivered that message back then he was doing what he thought the corporation wanted to do it was a mandatory right. meeting to the will be there so i'll hold anything against him it doesn't make our nation a bad company it's just a different company sure how does that maybe position the way you choose to lead it? Do, do you feel an influence as a, as a result of those experiences on how you choose to lead your people? 
It certainly does. A lot of times we get people a job and we think that that job is their purpose. That job is only the enabler of their purpose. Their purpose is what they have going on outside of work. It's their family. It's it's whatever it may be. It's their hobbies. And our job that we give them is their enabler for that. So I want to make sure that they can fulfill their purpose with what I allow them to enable that purpose with. And when you do that, man, they'll, they'll, they'll walk over fire for you. Um, it's, it's, I love hearing you say that because it's a message that, you know, certainly through the podcast, we try and we do our best to try and amplify that message right there, which is we can sit here and talk sales negotiating word tracks till we're blue in the face. We can, you know, yell and scream and shout and be as loud as we possibly can and in your face as we possibly can. But it all comes down to how do I just not, how do I know if my people didn't just wake up on the wrong side of the bed that day or have something going on in their life in which it's affecting their work? And and how can I make, how can I change the narrative so that it's not just about, oh, well, you show up, I sign your paycheck and that's the end of the transaction. What are your thoughts about that? How do you change the playing field in that regard? So a lot of times we think, a lot of people think, and it's not just the auto industry, it's a a lot of superiors feel like that they own that person for those hours that they're supposed to work. And if they're not there, if they're not doing this, without doing that, then then they got a significant issue with them. Well, again, it's the enabler of what their purpose is. And sometimes their purpose is distracting. And I'll give you an example that a friend of mine was just talking to me about two weeks ago. He said, I had this really, really, really great employee, was always there early, was always this, was always that. And then all of a sudden, he started showing up 45 minutes late. And he says, I watched it day after day after day again. He says, I let it go on for about three weeks. And then finally, I was ready to fire him. He says, I called him in, and I, I was just ready to call it quits. If you can't be here on time tomorrow, you cannot work here. Right. What, it, what, what, truly, what he was missing was he never connected with him, and he didn't know what he was going through. And over the last 45 days, the guy went through a divorce. And every morning, yes, he has to drop his kid off at daycare now. His ex-wife at that point was picking the kid up from daycare, and there was no way they could be there on time. All he wanted to do was talk to him about the changes in the shift, and the other guy was ready to fire him. Mm. And if you make those connections, that, that was late in the game on finding out that he was going through a divorce or just went through a divorce. And late in the game on finding out that things changed, causing his schedule to have to, to need to be modified. We should know those things early on. We should connect with our people and know what's going on in their lives so that we can mold what we have them doing around what they what their true purpose is. I almost want to just stop the interview and play that on repeat for the next 25 minutes because it's so critical, especially at this point of our history in automotive, that by and large, we need to understand the value of people. Absolutely. And when you do that, you will be surprised at what they will do for you. And the uh, because then it's not just a job for them; it's a home, it's a way of life. And when you make those connections, everybody starts rowing. And when everybody on that boat's rowing, and you don't have anybody drilling, you don't. If you don't have anybody drilling, you don't have anybody having to bail things out. And if you don't have anybody just along for the ride, everybody's pushing. And when everybody's pushing, it's like pushing an eighteen wheeler. If you got three people pushing it, you ain't pushing it very far. But if you got 300 people pushing it, that's a pretty easy truck to move. 
and it's all about getting them all rolling in the same direction. Now, I know um, you have a long history in fixed operations. How, if anything, did your experience in fixed operations shape the chief operating officer that you are today? I have spent my career learning how to develop people. And going back to where I started, um, coming into this with without a background, without any formal training, without whatever, I left that behind me. But leaving that behind me doesn't mean that it goes away. My family still lives that lifestyle. And when you live that lifestyle and you live in that world, nobody wants to offer you that helping hand. Nobody wants to reach out and say, hey, let me, let me guide you along the way. And there's so many people that are capable of so many things that if we truly connect with them and learn who they are, they will surprise you at what they can do. And so I learned very early on the power that are in people. And you don't have to carry a degree to have that power. That power just needs to be unleashed. So I've spent a large part of my career learning how to connect with people, learning how to open them up, and learning how to develop them. And in doing so, you become more of a mentor in business. Uh, and it doesn't matter what department you're in at that point. You, you, you develop people, you grow people. And when you grow people, you don't have to hire talent. You can grow talent. And yeah. When you grow talent, and that that's, that sounds like a cliche out there, but think about that for a minute. When you grow your own talent, the 35 fixed ops directors or the 35 GSMs down the road don't have that guy's phone number because they've never been there. They can't tug on your people. There's just so many elements that comes from that. But in doing that and becoming a mentor to people and allowing people to become them best, their best selves, um, you, you kind of spread your wings out into other areas. Yeah, and, uh, and that's what's opened other doors for me to grow. Um, and a lot of people ask, how can you get from fixed ops to uh, to wherever? Never quit learning. Mm. Leaders are ongoing learners. When you quit learning, you quit leading. <laughs> I, I'm smiling because I, I love this. And it reminds me of that. I mean, you've been in the industry a little bit longer than I have. Um though somehow in the same same period of time we we both somehow we found the same barber <laughs> yeah yeah this this industry been great i'm only 18 years old i feel great um right. but it makes me think of you know you'll remember that that kind of like age-old argument like you can't help me you've never sold a car before and you're like wait lean, lean in you mean you're judging me based off of this skill that is highly teachable and highly learnable and in an industry where to your point your path coming in was from homelessness so other people got released from prison 72 hours ago like what are we talking about here you're saying hey if you can learn you can do this exactly and i and love that you, you do run into that i had a salesperson tell me i guess probably a year and a half ago i'm offering him some guidance because he's struggling and right. i want to help him but he doesn't see me as help. He's saying, why should I take advice from a guy that's never sold cars? And I says, let me help you with that. So we talked <laughs> that for a minute, and then I went over to the next deal. He was trying to work and close the deal for it. <laughs> about whether you can, it's about making the connections. And uh, so sometimes you do have to show them because they, they get that mental block that right. you can't do it if you haven't done it. The more yeah. difficult piece of the equation is the people piece. Exactly. You, know, you might've transacted a car deal, but people hate your guts. Exactly. Uh, I believe what you're saying wholeheartedly. If if you can connect with people 
and you can find out what makes them tick and you have a genuine desire to enrich and and and, and lift them in some way or provide relief in some way or guidance or mentorship, doesn't matter what the product is. I'm going to be the top salesperson. Exactly. We're going to create customers rather than a transaction. I don't want to create a transaction. I want to create a customer. I love it. Two worlds, thanks. That's what you're doing. Um, what are some of the things? So we talk about people development. Is that then your core focus as the CEO at, at Bozard? No, what I love to do more than develop people, and I love to develop people, but what I love to do more than that is challenge status quo. Um, mm. Why can't it be different? Why do the, We all hate the saying, well, we've always done it that way. But how many of us really do something about that? Well, if we've always done it that way, that's fuel for me. Let, let's, let's go find a new way. Let's, if we've always done it that way, it doesn't mean that's the best way. That just means that's what you're comfortable with. That's what you know. So that has been really a key part of the DNA of the success of the store that I'm at here at Bozart, where we've went from 43 employees almost 11 years ago to 331 now. But that is challenging status quo. That's bringing different things to market. That's not that's back at saying, okay, and, and I'll give you an example of that, single point of contact. Um, we, we have some traditional salespeople in the Ford building, but we are shifting more. And I think we're about just about that 50% mark. We're about to tip over the 50% mark on single point of contact where one person does the whole transaction wow. yep that's what our customers want mm-hmm. but in order to do that i gotta let go of that traditional alpha and i and letting go of that traditional f and i when you're starting something new you got to step back a little bit because you're not going to hold the same ppr you're not going to hold all those elements and you got to be willing to accept that backwards movement for a moment you don't have to be accepting of it going forward but you have to be accepting of things to be the results to be a little different as you transition through it in the Lincoln store, we're totally single point of contact. But have you ever met a customer that just that that loves going to the car dealership, loves working the transaction, and then at the end of it just loves walking <laughs> in the F and I office and closing the door and sitting in there with somebody he's never met before and they're they're talking about making the, taking all their money and, and and helping them in their words. Right. The bit one of the biggest transactions they're gonna make. And, no. and, and also you know, I, I've thought about it over the years. Um, <clears throat> obviously, the deeper I've gotten into the industry, I've become a complete laydown. You know, to probably simply to just bypass as much of the process as I possibly can. That one black leather interior, uh, and I want to drive it home today. You know, exactly. um, however, <clears throat> in in thinking about that, what I realized to what you're saying is you it's probably all because I was trying to avoid the extreme feelings of judgment that customers feel in the F&I office. Exactly. This Pete, you know, the computers turned away from you and clackety, clackety, clackety on the keyboard. And what are they writing? You see the F&I manager just kind of peer around a little bit. And then at the end of it, you know, for a lot of people, what we don't realize, especially in the economy, the way things are going, that peer around the, the, you know, computer monitor, those judging eyes is, trying to find a way to say, unfortunately, right. we couldn't find a finance option for you. Well, right. it's like, I was here for six hours. You, we test drove all the car. You got me so excited. And now you're telling me I can't buy the car. Unless you come up with $5,000. So yes. Now you're shifting to how am I going to do that? How, and it's just a, it's an uncomfortable deal. Right. Let's spin that back around for what we're truly trying to accomplish with single point of contact. With single point... I really don't even care if you come into work. If you're selling cars and you're doing the right things, you can do it in people's driveways. Come here, 
pick up the car and take it to them, and, and that's all I need to see you for. I'm going to hold you responsible for what you need to deliver, what needs to take place, because you need to make a living. But if you want to do that at your son's football game, I'll give you all the flexibility in the world. Yeah, like the true meaning of work-life integration all of a sudden. Absolutely. And it and it helps the the sales representative think differently about how they choose to approach the work. It's like, hey, wait a minute. This is now not a transactional business to your point. It's a relationship business. Absolutely. How and long what, did that take to to implement that? So you said 11 years ago, how many po- 40 employees? Now you have th- over 300 employees. But also, I imagine this is not an overnight process of implementing a one point or a single point process. How long does that actually take? Well, we're three years into it now, and we're not 100% yet. I'm 100% at Lincoln. I'm not 100% at Ford yet, but I'm not 100% in either building of where I want to be with it. I do have people that never come here. I have some people that live 200 miles from here that sell cars and they sell cars frequently and they, they make a good living and, and come to the store maybe once a year. Um, but so I think that's going to be ongoing. Uh, and when we're probably for the next 10 years, there'll be some level of traditional in, in my Ford showroom, but I will probably be 80% single point within the next two and then have that little lingering effect for the ones that still want to, that, that don't have an issue going through that process. Because what, what we're trying to do is truly meet our customers on their terms rather than force them through ours. And that's what we've done for decades is force them through our process, even though they've screamed and hollered and says, hey, we don't like it. And then that's what's happened in service, and that's where all the aftermarket stuff comes from. Now it's what's happened on the sales side, and that's where the Carvadas and the Carmax and the Veromes and all those come from because they say, hey, right. if you guys aren't going to meet them, we're going to. Sure. And I just want to play in the same game with them. Yeah. It's like, hey, don't don't hate me because I decided to finally be the one to do the thing that the market was asking for. Right. Um, and and it's funny, too. I, I, I look at that and it's, you know, there's two sides of the coin. There's people that choose to be inspired by it. And then there's those that perhaps feel annoyed that they didn't spring into action and they focus on, yeah, but they lost a billion dollars and their stocks are blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but you know what? They still sold hundreds of thousands of units. Exactly. And another thing that has been success for us is a lot of times with any manufacturer, they're going to come to you with programs that they think is the best thing since sliced bread. And right. they, they haven't put it into play. They don't know whether it's going to work or not or whatever else. But guess what? We don't either. We don't know whether it's going to work. And so instantly, I want to play in that game rather than resist it. And when I when we instantly play in that game, everybody else is resisting it, whether it's for a week, two weeks, two months, six months. I'm already six months ahead of the game now. How do you reconcile the cost, the perceived cost? Because I already, I, I think I kind of already know your answer is like, what cost? But But, you know, in an industry by and large where you know, the DP or the GM or, or sales manager or whoever's listening to this, anybody who's listening, that's not my mom, raise your hand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're thinking, "Wow, you said three years. What, what is the true cost of implementing that? How do you look at it? What's the true cost of not implementing it is how I look at it. The, uh, we have to get there. And, uh, and so do we get there now? as when we can still feed the business, still take care of the business, still do all the right things, or do we wait until we have no option 
and nobody's sure. trained to do it. Well, I'd say, let's drive there now. We don't have to wait until we can't do it anymore. One of the things that, that took place, I mentioned to one of my managers, I guess I was here about a year and a half, and I says, I think we ought to do this. And he says, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think so. He says, nobody else is doing it. I think we need to wait until somebody else does it. So that's the whole reason why I'm doing it. Right. Nobody else is doing it. Let's be the trendsetter, not the trend follower. Right. That's what it is. It's just stepping out there and, and not being afraid and looking at it from the other side. What's it going to cost me not to do it? Our, um, it makes me think of our, my, my CRO, our chief <laughs> revenue officer here at Flex, is you know retired 20-year Marine. Like He did the full 20, several tours, like all, all the different, s- such incredible experiences. Um, and he says, it is better that we sweat in peace than bleed in yeah. war. Exactly. The, it, it, the, when you're sweating, you're making progress. And uh, I think you're experiencing some of that with your personal coach there. He's making you sweat a little bit, but that, that's progress. So, yes, right. let, let's get to work. Let's make something happen. Yeah, I think Yeah, you're absolutely right. Pre, pre-show DPB gang, we're talking about how I hired a personal trainer and I hate that person's guts. <laughs> <laughs> but you're but making also, progress. Yes, and somehow... Yeah. And you know what? It's, it's, but, but more so, you know, I say that kind of tongue in cheek. I don't hate them. I hate what I, I, and I don't hate me. I hate what I allowed me to become. Exactly. Let's circle back to that three year piece for a second. Sure. Simon Sinek says this well, and I'll tie it in with us as well. He says, you start working out and you look in the mirror or you step on the scale tomorrow and you didn't make any progress. And then you step on the next day and you didn't make any progress. You step on the next day and you didn't make any progress. But over time, if you keep doing that, at some point, you're going to start making progress and start going, it's going to be visual. You're going to see it on a scale. And it's the same way in business. We, we try something. And, and how many times have you heard, well, we tried that and it didn't work? Yeah. In business, we try something and it doesn't work the way we want it to. So we says, okay, and they're done that. I ain't doing that again. Well, you just hadn't found the way for it to work yet. You got to stay after it. And, and that's, right. that's where that three-year element comes into play. Are we doing it the same way today as we did three years ago? Absolutely not. Right. Am I going to do it the same three years from now that we're doing it today? Absolutely not. Right. But over time, we're going to continue to learn. And even at that three-year mark, going forward three years from now, I'm, I'm, we're not all, we're, we haven't arrived at that point. We're going to be better than we are today. But we know there's still opportunity in front of us because good is never good enough there's always the opportunity to get better i love it it frightens me to a degree because in order to say we tried it what you're really trying to say to me what what you're really trying to say to me is that i should trust that you have the faculties in order to actually try this to the degree that it needed to be tried in order for it to no, you didn't. Most people have you, Ed, have you seen people try and decide what they're going to eat for dinner at night? <laughs> <laughs> right. It comes an argument at times. Yeah. You're, you're telling, I want to, Hey, here's a measure of your faculties to deploy a, a solid strategy and make us believe that you actually gave it everything that was required. I want to see how you at a family reunion decide where you guys are going to eat for dinner. And if that turns out in anything short of a, a fist fight, then I don't believe, like, I think of my organization at moments during our growth where the strategy was, 
hey, we should do this thing. And then everyone kind of flout like shot out like cockroaches to do their own perception of what the thing is. And then we sit there and go, how can it, how can, what, what are we doing wrong? Right. But you're talking about, no, there, there is a, a tactical communicated expectation set objective outlined process. None of this willy nilly that I think you and I both know happens, runs rampant through not just our industry, every business. Well, we talked earlier about connecting with our people as well and learning who they are and learning what their purpose is. When you knock down those barriers, you're not only connecting with them, they're connecting with you. Well, they're the front lines. They're the ones going through and doing this. So they're more open to come back and say, hey, this didn't work out well for me. Let's try it. So they're bringing the information back to you. Well, that's truly where the, all the, where the decision needs to be made is where the information is. So you want that two-way communication. I don't want to sit here in my office and say, I got all the decisions, all the right decisions. I right. don't. Right. I want to paint the vision and then collectively get there. And when you make those connections to collectively get there, it, uh, they all start bringing their ideas to the table. Yeah. It's, and it's a, you know, a simple exercise to that effect that, that I found works is <clears throat> a simple spreadsheet. We call it the responsibility assignment matrix. So what's the initiative? Who's responsible? Who's accountable? Who needs to be consulted? Who needs to approve it? And in that way, and sometimes the same person is responsible for multiple columns. But once you start realizing, oh, I'm responsible to get it done. I'm to consult that person and get their counsel. And it must be you know, thrown up the chain to get an approval or a recommendation or some things don't require it to go all the way up. Some, you know, once you start to visualize all of the people that are actually required to bring the, you know, strategy to life, it starts to give light into, oh, that's why it didn't work before. Exactly. And when you push most of those decisions down to where the information is, everything's there. It's not just winging things at that point. Right. You have the information to make the right decision. So Maybe keep- it's because I'm a, a marketer at heart, but when we look at, you know, c- conversion rate optimization, where in this industry, you know, there's website providers who say, hey, all you need is my website and I'll lasso the sun, the moon and the stars. I'm like, yeah, hold on. A website is a bunch of pictures and text on a computer screen formatted in a certain way. What about your pictures and text formatted on a screen that looks exactly like the other one is going to change anything? It's not about what you have. It's about what you do with it that matters. And so, you know, enter conversion rate optimization. Well, what is that? It's the practice of creating a thesis. If we do X or change X, we anticipate this outcome and it's going to require this much time to acquire enough traffic to determine with, you know, a 95% or higher conclusivity that that change will equal that result. And I think about that same thing in our operations. That's exactly right. When you think the process through, then you're going to eliminate most of the obstacles right up front. When you think, right. okay, this is what we need to do. Let's just go do it. And you hadn't thought the process through, then you're hoping for a silver bullet to fix things. And there is no silver bullet. It might be wiped up and shiny and look pretty, but it's not going to get you anywhere. You, you have to you have to work through the obstacles. And if you can work through those obstacles beforehand, then it's a little bit smoother as you get going but there's still going to be obstacles that arise that you have to chase after and, and work through. But working with that vision that you just talked about is, is the groundwork for getting anything started. 
At the time of recording this episode, we're sitting down for those listening into the future when uh, Ed's mustache is white and my beard is white. Um, Ed's just authored and released his book, Mile One, An Endless Journey to Effective Leadership, which you need to go check out. Um, At what point in your journey do you realize, I want to write this book? uh, I have been pressured for some time to write a book. And quite frankly, it just, over time, I've made some notes. If I ever do, here's, here's what I'll make sure that's in it. And then I was listening to a friend of mine's book and it just hit me and says, I was driving to work. I remember it explicitly. I was driving to work and I just said, I'm going to write a book. And I pushed pause on the audible and what I was listening to. And I called my buddy and I said, you've inspired me to write my book. You've just pushed me over the edge. Um, and I, I even acknowledge him in the book, so you'll see him there. Um, I won't give him away here, but the uh, so it's kind of had some groundwork that's kind of built up to it. But that was the peak, and then once I decided to do it, it was, in my opinion, I, I've never written a book before, so I don't have anything to relate it to. But I'd say it was fairly easy to write because it's what we do, it's how we do it, it's what's worked for us, and having the elements that I wanted to talk about became the chapter outlines. And the chapter outlines is just, it was just easy to talk about. So hopefully it's as, it makes an impact with at least one. And if it does, it was worth it. Uh, yeah. That's what pushed me over the edge for sure. Well, I think it's going to have more impact than, you know, uh, already has. Uh, what I love about what you're saying and those that have followed the, the podcast for a while know this about me, that boy, do I dislike posers. <laughs> boy, oh boy, do I dislike posers. Um, And what I mean by this is, and and where I want to just underscore what you just said is 30 years in the industry, so many different experiences, you cannot compensate for the time and experience. And so where you say it was easy to write, yeah, because you've gained wisdom over the years. But man, I, I, you know, the, the clubhouse guru who went to one writing class that said pick a niche and then go and exploit it and they're and now they're on clubhouse saying for 49.95 you can buy my all-inclusive blah blah shut up buy my workbook and do these things buy my for only 49.97 i will reveal the secrets of the universe yes Uh, and once you buy that you're gonna learn you needed my 99 course to get all the footnotes and when you buy that you're gonna realize you needed my ten thousand dollar coaching program now don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking funnels and strategic funnels. I'm just saying what I love about this is you've had 30 years to contemplate mile one. Absolutely. Experience, failures, wins, the roller coaster. And that's why I'd really encourage those listening to go and buy Ed's book, Mile One, An Endless Journey to Effective Leadership. Where can they, where can they pick it up? So right now... Um, by the time I listen to this, they'll be able to buy it on Amazon, but also at any point they can buy it on my website at mile1leadership.com. Now, I got to talk to you about your your website for a minute because I'm familiar with the website game and I know this is this must be a glitch. But it says you have, it says there's only 49 million copies left. Were you really ambitious? Do you have, do you have a storage space somewhere with 49 million books? Well, we're we're not going to run out. They are producible at any time. So, 
there it is yes they they are on demand whenever you need it it will be there i just thought it was funny and i'm just poking fun at you but oh that's part of it you gotta you gotta have fun with it they they the pre-sales have been phenomenal it's it's been a fun journey well i've seen all the reviews i've ordered my copy i can't wait to get my hands on it um i've seen all the people posting about it and certainly you know uh, i have admired you from afar so I'm, i'm glad that we were able to connect and have you on the show how can those listening get in touch with you and connect with you Easiest way to get a hold of me and connect with me is on LinkedIn. It, uh, my cell number is on there. Everything about me is on there. So I am an open book. Don't hesitate to reach out. Even though I said the book was easy to write, there's a lot of simple practices in there. But simple doesn't mean easy. So if, if you're running into any kind of obstacles, don't hesitate to reach out. You can shoot me a message through LinkedIn. You can pick up the phone, call me, you can text me. I'm accessible. Amazing. Ed Roberts, thanks so much for joining me on the Dealer Playbook Podcast. Thank you, Mike. I'm Michael Cirillo, and you've been listening to the Dealer Playbook Podcast. If you haven't yet, please click the subscribe button wherever you're listening right now. Leave a rating or review and share it with a colleague. Thanks for listening.